everyone, Gary here, and we are back with another episode of Hop Talk, the Hopped podcast where we sit down and talk craft beer with some of our favorite people in the beer industry. This episode is a very special one for me personally. The Hopped team recently returned home from a trip up to Paso Robles for the Firestone Walker Invitational Beer Festival. It's legitimately one of the best craft beer experiences you can possibly have here on the West Coast, and today I'm talking to the man behind it all. Matt Brindleson is the brewmaster at Firestone Walker. I'd tell you more about this brewery, but you probably already know everything you need to know. Firestone Walker is one of the biggest and most prolific breweries here on the West Coast, and Matt has arguably been the key player behind that success. Today, We dig into the history of the Invitational, recap the latest fest, and I get his thoughts on the evolution of the Central Coast beer scene. We also talk about collaborating with some of his favorite brewers, the significance of Pilsner beer, the one-of-a-kind barrel-aged beers included in their Brewmasters Collective Membership Club, his time brewing in Belgium, and so, 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 so much more. When I say this is a bucket list guest for me, I really mean it, and I am super stoked for you guys to dig into this episode. So, what the hell are we waiting for? Let's jump into my chat with Matt Brindleson, brewmaster at Firestone Walker. Matt, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm still buzzing off of the Invitational the other week. I'm like, I couldn't wait to talk to you. There's so much excitement coming out of that. Uh, How are you feeling? Well, I am just starting to feel caught up on my sleep. And, uh, you know, I I always say it's a little bit like going to a a wedding or something or your wedding. Uh, All these people come to town that you want to talk to. You want to have a beer with everybody. It's it's exhausting in the greatest way possible. Um, and yeah, I'm still buzzing from it. It was amazing. Yeah. I can only imagine. Um, yeah, it's a good analogy actually. Cause I mean, I got married a couple years ago and I'm like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and while I did it, you know, I was focused on the beer at the fest. I was, you know, I had an eye open to see if I could catch you there. And no, you must've been just buzzing around everywhere. I didn't see you anywhere. <laughs> um so for anyone that doesn't know i think i feel like most people that are listening to this know about the firestone walker invitational beer festival um but for if for any reason someone doesn't like what is that all about like give me kind of like maybe like a quick history of how it got started and where it is today yeah absolutely so this was our ninth invitational um of course covid uh, set us back a couple years, so it would have probably been our 10th or 11th, actually. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of the shorter story because it's a bit of a long story. But, you know, I, I, I've been in this business since the mid-90s, and I kind of saw what I would call the rise and fall of the beer festival. I mean, I remember in the early days going to beer festivals in the Midwest. Great, great Taste of the Midwest was a great example of just a really brewer-focused, amazing festival um, and, you know, so there's so many great ones out there. Um, and then, you know, I think as time, um, 
went on, uh, at least some of the local ones here in the central coast of California, they went from being really brewer focused to maybe people just got a little worn out, brewers stopped coming, distributors started taking over a little bit, and they went from being really brewer focused to more, I hate to say it, but maybe more drunk fests, you know, mm-hmm. just buy a ticket, unlimited pours, let's party. And so somebody approached me here locally. It was um, Tom Madden, who's as part of the Paso Robles Pioneer Association. And he's like, hey, Matt, this was 10 years ago, 15 years or 12 years ago. Hey, Matt, I got this great idea. Let's do a beer fest in Paso. And I said, oh, that's absolutely the worst idea ever. I don't want anything to do with another fest. So I'm kind of over it. And he kept pestering me. And he's like, we've got this great venue, the Mid-State Fairground. You got to reconsider and, 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 and whatever it is you want. And I'm like, really? Whatever I want. And so I kind of went to him with this, what I thought would be uh, no way, shape or form, uh, his, he'd be able to meet where my demands were, okay, I want it to be international. I want you to fly brewers in. I want there to be great chefs and great food. By the way, I want you to book really expensive and awesome music. Uh, it needs to be like all about the brewers. So we're going to wine and dine them. And I just went on and on and on about all the things, you know, that I needed to have for this ultimate fest. And he didn't even pause. He's like, great, let's do it. I can put the money together. Let's make it. And, um, and, and so I owe a a great, uh, you know, deal of gratitude to Tom Madden and the local organizations and the local community because he went around town and I mean, car dealerships were kicking down money, like all these businesses that really had nothing to do uh, with with our event or what was going on. And he put it together. And, you know, I, I simply put together this like dream list of breweries um, and all these things I wanted to do with the brewers. And they kind of financed the deal and found the venue. And that first year was just this unbelievable success. We couldn't believe the response we got. We sold all the tickets out kind of like it was a, you know, like the Beatles reunion tour (laughs) or something. Couldn't believe how fast the tickets sold out. Um, And everyone just had a great time. Most importantly, brewers came themselves. And in those early years, it was, you know, Nick Floyd from Three Floyds flew in and McKellar flew in from... Uh, Denmark, and we had brewers from Japan and from, you know, all over the world came, and it was such a high honor to have them show up. Um, But most importantly, they just had a great time, and the vibe continued forward. And here we are today, nine years in, and I feel like I got more compliments from brewers on our ability to host and to show them a good time and to manage this kind of crazy event than than ever before. (laughs) Yeah, I was... uh... I was saying the same thing to myself. I mean, I've only gone to, I think this was my fourth one or fifth. And this one must have been the best one yet. I don't know. Maybe I say that every year, but um, this year it definitely felt special. Maybe coming out of that two-year hiatus. Um, but everything kind of seemed to come together in a way that felt just really special uh, from a fest-goer standpoint. So that was really cool. Um and did how did that how did that feel for you like coming out of two years off what was it like no i mean i I was just so pleasantly surprised that we still had our chops you know veronica krull who is instrumental she is the one here at firestone who has been organizing it since day one um you know, somehow, some way, she just has this magical way of putting it all together. I mean, there's a ton of 
other event staff, local volunteers, um, again, the Pastor Robles Pioneer Association. There's a ton of folks who make it possible, but she's the mastermind. You know, like I said, I, I come up with this kind of impossible list of beers and brewers and, and Veronica and her team really put it together. But I really felt like, yeah, it was as good as any year, uh, both in how it flowed uh, along, but also just in the quality of the brewers and beers that we had. I thought we, had, we did a great job. I mean, unfortunately, there were still a few brewers, international brewers who weren't comfortable traveling yet post-COVID, and we fully understood that. Um, there were a number like you know, garage project who were basically touch and go until the final minutes. They're like, we want to be there, but we don't know if we're going to get out of country or be able to fly over there. But, you know, we're in if we can be. And they all brought their A game. So it was it was really great. Yeah, that's it's awesome. And in terms of festival size, um, you know, it's it's pretty incredible. Like coming out of COVID, people are a little bit more conscious of uh, space and um, the size of the venue and the number of attendees and all that kind of stuff. Um, and while the Invitational has never felt like an overcrowded event, um, you know, some booths have a little bit of their lines and their crowding, but I mean, for the most part, it's incredibly spacious. And I felt like uh, this year, I just felt like I had more room than ever um, that the, uh, the fairgrounds is just a, a wonderful venue for something like that. Yeah, we expanded into a couple new spots. So we had like a brewer's lounge that we'd never had before. Um, we extended a little bit of the festival grounds. And, and and luckily, Mother Nature cooperated. I mean, we had a whatever it was, 85 degree Fahrenheit day rather than 105 degree Fahrenheit day, which helps because everybody's not crowding in the uh, misting tents or something like that. But yeah, yeah it really worked. And, you know, by and large, the tickets were sold out from two years ago. So, you know, we kind of had to set a number of tickets that we sold two years ago. And truth be told, we ended up having to add a few folks in because there were additional brewers, additional, you know, uh, support staff. There were some people we had some favors we owed. So I think we had more attendees this year. I didn't hear the final number yet, but I believe it was the largest number of attendees that we've had. Um, and, and I'd agree with you, it felt pretty wide open and spacious. So that, I mean, that's the name of the game. And we're so lucky here in California that we can have just a ticketed event where all the food, all the beer, you don't have to have additional tickets to, to get what you want, um, and spread everybody out and just let everybody have a good time. I, I always warn people as they're rushing in and running to the booze, I'm like, Hey, there's plenty of beer. Nobody (laughs) needs to trip over each other, you know? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Uh, to give some context, um, the from the first invitational to this latest one in terms of like brewery number of breweries participating has it changed much or has it always been i how, i don't even know how many there were do you have no off the top of your head yeah i believe we had 63 somewhere between 60 and 63 which was the largest number of brewers we'd ever had but it's always been in and around 50 oh cool uh, and then each year we add a couple because, you know, the way it works. So it's an invitational. Um, and it's really difficult to ask anybody to sit on the bench for a year so we can bring a new brewery in. But yet, you know, we're constantly discovering new breweries that we fall in love with or make new friends or collaborate with new breweries. Um, this year was one of the first years where we had a couple local breweries come, which, you know, since the thing started, I, I always get a rash of... Uh, you know, complaints from local brewers were like, why can't we participate? But I was like, the spirit of this event from day one 
was to bring beers and brewers in that our local community wouldn't no- normally have access to. It wasn't that we didn't feel like the local breweries uh, were not worthy, uh, not at all. It was that we really wanted to have this broad spectrum of beers from around the world that, you know, assumably local uh, attendees would have never tasted before. But we kind of, you know, we have a a couple really close friends, actually former Firestone Brewers, uh, Brendan from Liquid Gravity poured this year, Max from There Does Not Exist. Um, Arguably, their beer quality is as good as any of these international brewers, no doubt. I've always known that, but, um, you know, they're, they're such close friends. It was impossible not to invite them in, and I think they were well-received, of course, uh, as you would expect. <laughs> yeah, I, I love seeing them included. Uh, part of what what I did, my brother and myself, uh, located here in the northern part of Los Angeles County, instead of zoom into the Invitational uh, up the five, the quick way, uh, the morning of uh, Saturday morning, um, we went the day before and we took the coast and we hit some of these spots along the way just it's pretty amazing uh, how the Central Coast has transformed and evolved over the years um, and seeing some of these newer operations like Liquid Gravity, like There Does Not Exist, uh, like Wild Fields, um, oh, and yeah. even like beer bars. I saw you guys did your brewer's reception at Ancient Owl in Atascadero, which we stopped at as well. So we kind of did this little pilgrimage up the coast. And uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing to see how how the area and the beer scene has evolved up there. Um, yeah, what, what, how do you feel about what's going on? And I mean, I guess maybe, uh, you know, seeing that some of the Firestone alumni, some of your, your old coworkers are, are spreading their wings. is pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're super proud of all of the former Firestone brewers who have found places in these breweries and some are just, you know, making world-class beer for sure. Um, no, I, I, I couldn't be happier with the way the Central Coast has evolved. It's been a little bit of a slow roll, of course, but, you know, we're also a smaller community in terms of total um, population, so that would only be expected. Um, and, you know, it's always nice to think that Firestone had some part in that, at least influencing or drawing some folks in uh, and or training some of those brewers. But you mentioned a couple of the beer bars, like Ancient Owl, man, I mean, the the quality of that program is just as good as any other beer bar in up and down the coast. Yeah. I mean, those guys are kind of hand selecting beers, you know, bringing them in if they're not available through local distributors. If you look at that bottle and can offering just in the just in the, the bottle shop section of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. I mean, there's Dre Fontaine. There's all these like, you know, Blagie's beers. I mean, it's it's crazy. You know, I mean, when we did our brewer's reception, they had Cantillon on draft. Oh, I wow. mean, come on. Yeah. Give me a break. So, yeah, that's, you know, those kind of gems really, you know, bring the beer culture, you know, forward, you know, quantum leaps. Um, Wild Fields there in Atascadero, you mentioned. I mean, he crushed it at World Beer Cup this year. Mm-hmm. Great quality coming out of what used to be the sleepy Atascadero where there really was nothing going on a couple, you know, five years ago or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, and then, you know, we're bookended, you've got breweries like Alvarado street, not far up the coast from us to our North, Figueroa mountain to our South, Topa Topa, who did pour at the invitational. So yeah, there's a ton of great beer going on here in the central coast. Totally. Good times. I mean, (laughs) I don't know why. Keeps me honest, man. (laughs) Keeps me honest. I got to keep my A game going, man, to keep up with all these guys. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) seriously, it's, uh, it's motivating, right? (laughs) 
Yes. Yes. Um, so one of the, uh, one of the can, you know, we're talking about canned beer, um, and canned offerings. One of the ones that, that piqued my interest recently was, um, the fest beer that you, so you guys brew a collaboration for the invitational, uh, every year. And this one was from one of our local breweries here, uh, down in orange County, green cheek. So, Oh, that uh, one, oh yeah. 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 So the, the, the fest beer, that was like the official fest beer, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, um, parrot phrase, parrot phrase. Yes. So tell me about that program specifically, like, you know, that collaboration that you guys do for the, for the invitational, like you pour it, uh, at a special place, like in the front of the festival, what, what's, what's that all about? Yeah. So, I mean, I think year one, we collaborated with brewers that were coming into town just cause it was this great opportunity, um, you know, where, where we wouldn't have face to face and, you know, 10 years ago, collaborations weren't such a crazy thing that they are today. Um, which I, I love the activity of it, by the way, um, in terms of the networking piece of it. And, so, so we wanted to take advantage of that opportunity of people coming into town. But then as, as the Invitational developed, we found that it was a really good opportunity to release some beers because people were coming into town and, um, you know, our direct-to-consumer game had not been as strong in those early years. So it was a great opportunity to get some really unique beers into people's hands. Um, you know, we did a, a crazy collaboration with Three Floyds, I think, year one or year two. We did a collaboration with McKellar, a couple of these names I already mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year, uh, we collabed with yeah Evan and his team at Green Cheek, and you know it's it's no secret I'm I'm like uh, uh, I got a massive crush on that brewery. I'm just such a huge fan of everything Evan does, and I just feel like he's just got a he, he makes great beers in a in a broad uh, range of styles, and he's it's always very thoughtful, and he always brings some type of unique twist. You know, whether he's making Kolsch, whether he's making Pilsner, um, you know, we've done quite a few collaborations with Green Cheek. So this is not the first time we've brewed with them. But this particular beer, Parrot Phrase, was pretty much all Evan, like coming to the table and saying, I got an idea. This is a style neither of us really has mastered or done much of. Let's make a grisette, but let's do a couple twists here and there. So, um, you know, we incorporated what I would call a fairly typical grisette malt bill uh, you know, Pilsner malt, raw wheat, um, and the like, um, used pretty restrained hopping up front, but we knew we were going to dry hop. And then we knew a couple twists we wanted to take was, you know, selecting uh, a Saison yeast that would be really kind of ester and fruit forward. And then using a little bit of this, um, thiol forward yeast, uh, in particular, we used Omega yeast, that's known for releasing a lot of thiols and the whole idea was just to create this fruit cocktail beer but it's four and a half percent alcohol so tons of of yeast derived and uh, flavor complemented by hops and you know i think we really accomplished that i mean and honestly the those of those folks who haven't had it yet or, or have cans that they haven't opened that thing has been developing really nicely in the short amount of time since it's been in can i had one over the weekend and i feel like some of the bubblegum ester is is mellowing out in that beer and it's kind of coming into uh maybe a even a better place than than when we first tapped it but the idea is that you know we do something unique that we can package and share people can take it home but we also tap it 
for everyone in the hour before they're, they enter uh, the Invitational. We just have pitchers and we pour this beer with the brewer who made it. And it's kind of a fun, you know, kind of tradition. First thing we do the morning of the Invitational. Yeah, I feel like typically it, the consideration of the temperature uh, of the day is also factored into the style, um, you know, I feel like usually there's a lighter beer, but you guys have thrown some twists in there in the past, right? Like there's been some strong ales happening over the years. Yeah. I mean, we really don't have, you know, there's, there's never a, we can't do one thing or another. I think we did one with cigars. Uh, who did, what did we do? Um, we did like a barrel age, crazy Amberana wood beer with them. <laughs> um, we've done, we've done a little bit of everything. I think initially what we were, doing is we were brewing with folks when they were here and then barrel aging and releasing it the next year uh, that was kind of one theme that we had going for a while but you're right when it's 105 degrees in paso no one wants to drink uh, imperial stout so you know we've leaned on having a, a really sessionable beer in more recent times or or doing one of both you know it's yeah. like people can take the stout home and drink the grisette at the site or whatever i mean it's just a great opportunity and so um, Sam brewed with Henry from Monkish, uh, collaboration that was also released, um, for the Invitational. Um, that's foggy in the details. That's this other can I've got here. Yeah. I'm going to crack and, mine open. Um, I haven't tried this beer, so I'm going to try it for the first yeah, time while we're talking. I'll do the same. You know, I mean, obviously anytime we can brew with Henry, um, you know, we're all ears and, 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 and love the opportunity. I mean, he's such an accomplished brewer again on kind of both ends of the spectrum his his you know belgian inspired beers as well as all these ipas that he's coming out with um i asked sam for a few of the details on the beer and we used admiral pills so we used malted you know grains malted in california um malted oats some flaked oats some blonde roast oats as well um and then it's got kind of this Oh, you know, Centennial Citra, but there's also some Nelson and Galaxy in there. I have, I have a feeling there's a lot of Galaxy used in a lot of the Monkish beers. Right. Um, but, you know, this is one of those cases, like, you, you really want to get together with a brewer like that, stand back, and have them influence the beer as much as possible. It's an opportunity to learn. Um, I think Henry was pretty happy with the beer, although I don't know if he's ever satisfied. I mean, I always get this kind of like, <laughs> yeah, that's all right. I could have done better. You know, like, I, I was really stoked on the beer, and, and again, it's an, a lower alcohol, more sessionable kind of IPA on the hazy side of things. So, yeah, yeah, it's cool. It, it drinks, um, it drinks really dry for me. Um, you know, lighter body. Those hops really shine. I mean, I, for someone that has more of a like a West Coast sensibility, I like what's going on here. It's not like yeah. super sweet and fruity. Uh, it's really cool. I like it. I think, you know, that's a theme with all of our hazy IPAs um, and some of it's, you know, our brewing equipment and in the technology we apply, you know, step mashing and all that type of thing. Um, our, our hazies tend to be a little more attenuative and dry and maybe a little more, you know, less on the sweet side and more on the high drinkability side than some others out there. That's just like the Firestone style kind of peeking through a little bit. Um uh, I, I keep saying like 2021 slash 2022 was were, were years of um, exploration of Southern Hemisphere hops for Firestone Walker, and we got our hands on just some some unbelievable quality Nelson, uh, Rawaka, Maltuica, 
and Galaxy uh, in these last couple of crop years. And so you've probably seen that, you know, thematically throughout a lot of our new releases that Firestone has done. They, you know, no surprise there's some Nelson in this beer for sure. <laughs> yeah, totally. I welcome it. I love what's coming out of Southern Hemisphere over the past few years. And you guys really like leading the charge and, you know... Um, you know, I, I'm thinking about the uh, the crafted through hops, the IPA mix pack, where I think I have a Sauvignon Blanc uh, or a, a, a Nelson. A uh, uh, there's a few others that are just like Southern Hemisphere single hop, like really cool stuff um, that you don't see a lot of. Yeah, the the Blanc that you're referring to was part of the project. So we originally were doing single hop offerings as our quote-unquote treasure beers Mm -hmm. in the mix packs. And this year we started doing these kind of complementary hop blends. So that Blanc that you're referring to is Nelson's Savon or, you know, it has the Sauv Blanc kind of characteristic. Blended in equal parts with Hollertau Blanc, which is a hop that I'm absolutely in love with that a lot of brewers have kind of passed over, I think simply because it's not as um, intense or as impactful as Nelson is on its own, but it's such a complementary character. It's, it's, it's really in, incredible that you get this Sauvignon character out of a hop grown in Germany. So we've deployed it in a lot of different beers. And I think in that particular case, it really worked out well. And, you know, that whole series for us is kind of this, nice experimental avenue that we can take sam can play with something at the propagator and if it's really working we can kind of scale it up to production size brews without taking huge risk and kind of mixing it into these mix packs so yeah it's been been a lot of fun i dig that i mean none of those beers are going to be like hit you over the head you know double ipa style they're all going to be kind of more in that pale ale to ipa range much like this beer that we're tasting right now, lower alcohol, um, less punchy maybe, but you still get the essence of the hop, and it's a really good demonstration of what those hops can do. Yeah, I love that in the mix pack where it's like you know what you're getting out of Union Jack, you know what you're getting out of Hopnosis now on, on you know one of your newer brands that has come out, um, and then you kind of get something new out of this rotating experimental beer, which is really, really cool. I dig it. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, we got to be careful. We don't want to break the bank on it. And that's why you don't see a lot of like over the top double IPAs in those series as much as we'd love to, <laughs> to brew up. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. This episode of Hop Talk is brought to you by High Low Liquor Market. Hilo is one of the best craft beer stores in Southern California and is our personal favorite spot for grabbing beers to go or sipping on a flight at the tasting counter. Their beer buyer Chase has pretty impeccable taste, and he is legendary for bringing in some of the most exciting, under-the-radar, hard-to-find, hyped-up breweries in the country. Not only are you going to find the latest releases and monthly staples from some of your favorite local spots around SoCal, you're also going to come across some breweries you've only ever heard about from all different parts of the country. One of my favorite parts about Hilo is the convenience factor. They've got shops in Culver City, Long Beach, and a new one coming basically any day now in Costa Mesa. You can order online to pick up or take advantage of their local delivery option if you're not feeling like jumping in the car. Personally, I actually like going into the store. 
They've each got this really cool modern design aesthetic, really super helpful staff, and a welcoming environment that makes shopping for beer an incredibly joyful experience. Stay up to date with all their latest inventory on Instagram at Beer, and the next time you're looking to restock that beer fridge, hit them up. You won't be disappointed. Hilo, drink well. This episode is also brought to you by Malibu Brewing Company, a brand new brewery and eatery coming to Malibu this summer. Their beers are already out there and they are delicious. From their First Point IPA and their Wild Grove Hazy to their Canyon Rosé Lager and their Pacific Gold American Lager, all their beers are just super dialed in, incredibly drinkable, approachable AF, and just damn delicious. And from everything we've heard about their food menu, it's going to be just as amazing. Malibu Pub is coming along awesome, and I cannot wait for you guys to check it out. It's been a while since we've been this excited about a brand new brewery, and it's just super refreshing to drink well-made, beer-flavored beer with the good people at Malibu Brewing Company. For more info and to order beers, hit up brewmalibu.com. One of the beers that, you know, kind of going back to the invitational collaboration, um, but also a propagator, recent propagator release collab was Stevo. So that was so cool seeing uh, Vinny coming down to the propagator, you guys meeting up down there, brewing that beer and getting that into cans again. Like that obviously has been a fan favorite over the years that originally started as a invitational collab, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny. Every time I, I get into like a, a proper hangout session with Vinny, it always involves drinking a lot of Pilsner beer, it seems, either SDS or Pivo, depending on where we're at. And so, you know, that idea of that collaboration just came from, you know, having a few beers together and, you know, mutual love of Pilsners. And, um, you know, it's, 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 I think we brewed it three or four times now. It did take the gold medal in Keller Pills at World Beer Cup maybe in 2016 or 2018. Nice. I can't remember exactly when. Um, and th- that was the very first time we ever put it in package, like in cans. Um, and we did some really cool artwork with it. Um, and, and I'm just waiting for the invitation to brew Stevo up in Windsor or, you know, in, in Santa Rosa with him. And we've talked about it, but we just haven't done it yet. But I think um, that would be the next step. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, that was, that's I mean, A, it's a great beer. B, you two just, you know, great brewers and have been at the forefront of this for a while. And. I feel like there's a friendship there that you can feel like, I don't know. I don't know you guys, uh, you know, we haven't all hung out, but I just feel like there's like a friendship between the breweries. I mean, knowing uh, the collaboration and, and work that you guys have done together over the years, um, it's, it's just, it seems like a very special thing and coming out of COVID, like having him come down, do a collab. I mean, they don't do a lot of collaboration beer. So I just felt like when that came out, I was like, man, this is awesome. And it's sold out <laughs> in record time too. That one sold out quick. Which, you know, it's, it's funny because Pilsner's not setting the world on fire necessarily in volume. Right. There's a lot of interest among brewers, of course. Um, you know, so we're just trying to do our part to promote Pilsner brewing here in the States, of course. 
Um, yeah, Vinny and I have known each other for a long time. Actually, this was the very first invitational where Vinny and Natalie didn't actually stay at uh, my wife Allison and my house. Um, oh, wow. Because we we moved houses this year. <laughs> so it's the first time they didn't stay with us. Um, yeah, and anytime we can brew beer and um, just kind of hang out with, with those guys, it's it's amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. And kind of, you know, talking Pilsner, um, talking Pivo. You know, like when I think Pilsner here on the West Coast, I, I always think of Pivo. Um, I saw you post something a couple months ago about Pivo, a new can that, you know, Pivo coming in cans, new design. Um, is that out yet or is that still being worked on or? No, no, it is. We blew through a massive amount of canned Pivo during the Invitational. I think they cleared out. Our, oh, okay. You know, I missed it all. Our... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things, you know, when the quote unquote can crisis kind of hit, we had to make some hard decisions about pulling some beers back just to allow enough cans for, you know, things like Mind Haze, things like 805 or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we re, re-released cans this year, kind of a new uh, package. It looks really nice. And again, you know, it's not our lead brand by any stretch, but it might be one of those beers that the brewers talk about the most. And um, it's kind of, an, kind of an inside joke here at the brewery that uh, – DBA is is David Walker's favorite beer, and it will never leave the the, the, the portfolio. <laughs> it doesn't matter if all we sell is the the one case that he drinks a year. <laughs> we will always have DBA, um, and likewise with Pivo. As long as I'm brewmaster of Firestone Walker, Pivo will always be available, <laughs> whether we sell one keg a month or <laughs> truckload a month. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that beer so much, and um, yeah, I think it's like a. It's like a cult classic among, you know, beer nerds. Uh, everyone loves the yeah. Pivo. And and even when you look at stylistically, like, what's happening um, with this, like, with this kind of collision of West Coast IPA and, and Pilsner, you know, you're getting these, like, hoppy Pilsners that are coming out now. I feel like Timbo Pils from Highland Park tends to be one that a lot of people talk about. Um you know, I feel like Pivo, like, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different beer, but this like dry hop, like hoppy pills, um, was an early entry to that style. And, um, yeah, just, I feel like it led the way and it's, it's so nice to see it continue on. And every time I go to the propagator, uh, here in Los Angeles, like I have to get one. It's the most, it's the most picturesque beer. It's just aesthetically pleasing every single time. It's so nice. I, I mean, I always say that I don't care um, what kind of beer you like to brew. Um, part of a brewer's journey always leads to Pilsner at some point. And it is one of those styles that's difficult to master. Um, and, you know, I, I got, you know, smitten by Pilsner early on in my career and was always kind of chasing that one, trying to see, like, how I could make it better. Um but nowadays, there's so many good Pilsners out there. Um, you know, I could name a long list, but, yeah. you know, Peter Hoey's making some great Pilsners up in Sacramento. Um, Alvarado Street, who we mentioned earlier, just up the coast here. There's a bunch of them hitting in, in Southern California. Yeah. And then at our festival, we had Eric Toff from Schoenron, um, you know, maybe the, one of the best Hellas and Pilsner brewers in all of Germany was pouring. 
Um, and then two booths down was Frau Gruber, another German brewer who had his Pilsner. And, um, I mean, I lost count of how many great Pilsners were being poured at the Invitational. So it, it does my heart uh, good to see brewers focusing on and executing so well on that um, and, and, and still having access to the classics and knowing that those are still out there and they hold such a high bar. Um, yeah, I can't wait for the next Pills and Love Festival to happen. I don't know exactly when that's going to go down, but, uh, you know, I, I just there can't be enough Pilsner for me out there. Yeah, I completely <laughs> agree. That was a that was a major theme for me personally um, at the Invitational was I just there was just a lot of lager beer, a lot of light lager beer uh, pouring and that I was enjoying. And, you know, I, I, Bagby was was at the top of my list uh, for that. Um, and there were a number of others, but it was just so, so cool to see that. Whereas in previous years, I feel like I had a lot of different stuff, but lager was a, a smaller percentage of what I saw being poured this year. I think that, I mean, that percentage might've doubled, you know, it was, it really yeah. came out this year. So, I mean, I guess, you know, what, what we haven't figured out yet or, you know, we remain to see whether or not it really resonates with craft beer fans and if it takes any like you know considerable piece of the space so to speak that ipa now commands um but somebody must be drinking them because all these brewers are making them right and they're doing a really good job and i think it's this confluence of you know brewers with experience that have better equipment at their disposal certainly on the raw material side there's better pilsner malts and more options available you know people have really honed in their water chemistry i mean everything's kind of coming together uh you know perfectly for these beers to come forward in really good quality so yeah it's a it's a good time to be a pilsner lover that's for sure <laughs> agreed <laughs> uh one of the characteristics that you had um assigned to henry of monkish you know where you always want to improve you always want to get better uh i'm wondering what your thoughts are in terms of the invitational like now that we're nine years in like is this thing just like dialed in and you're just gonna keep having a good time with friends or do you like actually reflect and are like you know this you know do you put notes together for your team and are you like you know we should do this differently this year or how does that work for you yeah, no, we're always trying to improve it like everything else and at the same time not break it or screw it up. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always that, you know, the, there's there's always that, oh, we could have more, we could sell more tickets, but that's really not the point of it. Mm -hmm. I think for me, it's always um, bringing a few more brewers in that nobody's heard of that are just amazing or, 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 you know, international brewers that people just don't have access to. You know, I don't know if you noticed this year, we brought La Source from Brussels yeah. in and we're this teeny little brewery, um, actually across the alley from De La Seine. You know, they're like next door neighbors to De La Seine. That's how I discovered them. Um, but when I went and visited them, they were just so soulful. They were, you know, that they do their own label art. The beers are really kind of all over the board in terms of they're not afraid to do all sorts of things stylistically and new age. Um, and so for me, I get really excited when we can bring in a brewery like that, that probably 90 plus percent of the attendees never even heard of, much less tasted those beers. So I'd like to do more of that, discovering 
new brewers that we can bring in that folks will be stoked about. Um, we're always trying to up our game and making sure that the brewers have the best time possible. You know, we, uh, behind the scenes, we rent out the local uh, water park. So the Friday before the fest, we all gather at this water park and we just all like hang out on the lazy river and they pass us cans of Pivo and we just hang out and get to network and um, just chill. Um, we, we, we like to do more of that kind of stuff, but... And then on the food side, I mean, I feel like each year we've 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 been able to bring in, um, you know, better and better local chefs. And now that we've created a little bit of a competition there with the people's choice, they continue to bring their A game and, and they continue to bring better and better food each year. So I don't know if you got a chance to check out the food side of things, but it was pretty impressive this year. Yeah, it really was. It's one of the things I look forward to every year. But when I was saying earlier that, this year felt like the best year yet. The food definitely contributed to that. Um, I love the energy that um, some of these these local restaurants and these chefs, you know, talking to the chefs themselves, um, they bring to the, a festival like this. Um, you know, it's not a food festival. It is right primarily a beer festival, but they, they come in with an energy that is just it's so fun and it's like so local. It's so homegrown. I loved it. I think it, it it is a dimension to this festival that sets it apart from anything else I've seen. Yeah, and, and there's there's this unique thing going on in the Central Coast because of the wine industry here. You know, we have something like 300 wineries or wine producers in Slow County, and therefore there's a fairly um, you know robust wine tourism business that's kind of developed here and that draws in this whole culinary arts piece and you know i think um considering the population of pastor robles and the surrounding community we have a disproportionately you know kind of robust uh culinary scene and it just keeps getting better year after year we got our first michelin star in slow county this year that we're so proud of that's six test kitchen and we haven't talked them into coming in uh, you know, bringing food to the invitation, but maybe we can con him into coming next year. You yeah. know? I mean, it's just the, 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 the yeah, the, the, the culinary scene here is really exciting. Um, and we try to, yeah, bring that, um, share that with the attendees and with, with the brewers for sure. Um, music wise too. I mean, you said, what could we do better? I mean, I've always, you know, had this dream of just, you know, throwing caution to the wind and spending big bucks on bigger and bigger acts all the time. And, um, but, you know, we had Little Smokies this time, and I don't know if you got to catch some of the music, but, man, they're just quality music. So it, it was great. It yeah. was really good. Yeah, the music is awesome. I love that, too. Um, we've talked a lot about collaboration beers over the course of this chat, um, and I last time I talked to Sam, um, you know, brewer down at The Propagator, uh, we talked a lot about collaboration mm -hmm. beers. He, I mean, he's been super busy over the course of 2022 and, and late 2021 you know, doing some of these collaborations. I, and you know, this is just anecdotal, but I feel like it's more so than I've seen a little bit more ramped up than I've seen from you guys in the past, at least down here at Venice. Um, what does, what is collaborate? What does these brewery collaborations do for you personally? And then what can we expect in the future? Are you thinking about doing more? Is this like a temporary thing? Like, what is your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it hasn't been calculated in, in that we're not, you know, we're, it's certainly not a marketing ploy. I think 
sometimes collaborations can can feel that way. I think more of it is in Sam's case, the fact that we've got that venue in Venice. It's really easy for brewers to fly into LAX and come over and brew with us. So, you know, we're just blessed in that close proximity to the airport, whereas it's a lot harder to get brewers all the way up to Paso Robles. There's no real easy path um, to get here. Yeah. Also, the scale of the brewery lends itself. I mean, that was kind of the whole idea of the propagator was that is where we were going to propagate ideas for production scale brews. So, um, you know, now that we're in our whatever it is, fifth or sixth year there, uh, we've got, you know, we kind of got that under our belt now. Um, and, you know, uh, Sam's always, Sam's been with the company for a really long time. He's been brewing with us for over 10 years. And Sam and I have done a lot of traveling in that time. Sam's always been um, working with me and the team on hop selections. We spent a lot of time in the Pacific Northwest. Um, we go wherever the hop quality group goes. So we just did a trip down to Florida and we got, that's where we picked up green bench for the invitational. Um, cause we, we went there and tasted beers with Chris. We're like, Holy shit, we got to get you up here, man. This is amazing. And then we did a collaboration when he came up. So I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a lot about, you know, just now we have this perfect venue to do all these collaborations. It used to be a little more difficult in Paso cause the smallest batch we could make was 50 or a hundred barrels. And, <laughs> you tend not to take risks and tend not to do as much of that collaboration activity. Cause you somehow have to sell that beer or find a home for it. But, um, and Sam, by the way, he's an amazing brewery, super creative. He's well connected. Um, and he's just a really nice guy. So people want to make beer with him. You know? it's, like, totally. it's not just me. It's just, uh, <laughs> you know, Sam is making a lot of friends in the business and they're wanting to come and make beer with him. So, um, that's a cool part of it. Totally. Yeah. There's been some super exciting stuff coming out of the propagator. Um, I want to shift a little to the future a little bit. And as I do that, I'm going to open up Hopnosis, which, uh, okay, as, as we mentioned, is that newer brand in the portfolio. Um, I feel like there's there was a lot to say about this beer when you guys first released it. Um, what you guys are doing at scale uh, from a, a cryo standpoint here, cryo hop standpoint, really, really cool. Um, so my, my, my question is, a, is a little bit, is a little bit broad, like kind of macro. So we have, uh, up in Paso, the, the main production facility, uh, putting out a lot of that, those core beers. We have, um, barrel works down in Buellton, putting out a lot of the, the barrel age stuff. And I'm not sure how much is done in, in, uh, in one location versus another, but we have the barrel age clean beers and the barrel age sour beers. And then we talked a little bit just now about R and D propagator, all the new exciting experimental stuff that's happening there that bubbles up to the main brewery. Um, what is, what is, how's that mix between all four of those things, the core, the barrel aged clean, the barrel aged sour, and then this R and D at the propagator. How has that changed over the years? And like, as we're going forward, are you guys thinking about that differently as beer consumer trends change? Like, what does that look like from a from like a approach standpoint? What you guys are putting out? Well, you know, a few things I'll, I'll mention. One, when when I started with Firestone Walker in those first ten years, you know, if we released one new beer or two a year that was a big deal and most of the time i was just digging into my 
you know, homebrew recipes or early brewing recipes and pulling out the next great thing I love to drink. You know, it was, it was pretty simple. In other words, it was, you know, oh, we don't have a hoppy pale ale yet. Oh, yeah, I could make one of those. Oh, we don't have an IPA. You know, and it was we were just like clicking along doing beers that were pretty obvious and just hadn't hit the portfolio yet. And then you roll the clocks forward and the landscape is completely changed. You know, now it's all about innovation. It's all about uncharted territory. And honestly, the vast majority of it is outside of my wheelhouse or comfort zone as a, you know, now <laughs> 25, 30 year veteran in craft beer. You know, <laughs> I came out of the OG IPA uh, leagues <laughs> and now I'm being asked to do all these other crazy things. So, you know, what, what we figured out in terms of, and, and this is not unique to Firestone, I think a lot of breweries our scale all over the country are doing the same, is that, you know, we need to have some meaningful innovation. And in order to do that, we need to take people off, you know, their day-to-day brewing shifts and allow them some time and space to be creative and some opportunity to network and learn and um, focus. And that's what we've done. So you have Sam, we've already mentioned, down at the Propagator, and his job is to brew beers outside of the normal portfolio, uh, get some kind of feedback from the pubs, and and be as creative as he possibly can and network with as many people as he possibly can. Up in Paso, we've got a gentleman brewer by the name of Brad Miles, who's an accomplished brewer, uh, came out of heading up filtration and cellar uh, work, and now is our... Paso Robles R&D brewer. Um, and what's funny is he has eight one hectoliter fermenters. So he has the actually the smallest brew kit uh, in the entire company that he's working on more uh, recipe focused, new hops, new malts, new processes, um, new fruits, all these types of things. And he's working really closely with our lab to try to track some of that work. Some of his work passes back down to Sam. Some of his work goes uh, directly into production. And, and essentially, between those two positions, it takes a lot of the weight and the heat off of me to always be having to come up with the new <laughs> great ideas. Because, you know, in, in the last year, um, Firestone Walker got involved with Cali Squeeze, and we're now making mm-hmm. a line of fruited beers. Um, you know, that's not something I ever was like super passionate or focused on. Um, and luckily I could pass a lot of that work over to, uh, Brad and to Sam to kind of figure it out. Um, and then, you know, and, and then, you know, we're talking about hop gnosis and drinking it. So cheers by the way. Yeah, cheers. And this was something that I'll, I'll give, you know, Sam a great deal of credit for and Brad in that we were really trying to break the mold of our kind of what was our house character in IPA? I would use Union Jack as a prime example. Uses our house ale yeast. Um, it inevitably has this kind of just baked-in Firestone Walker house character because of our yeast and because of the way we dry hop, all those types of things. So Hopnosis, kind of the, the challenge was, let's create an IPA that doesn't taste like any of the other IPAs we've made before and go back to this West Coast theme. And, you know... I. I I'll say it. I mean, it's it's brewed with lager yeast, mm-hmm. and therefore it breaks the mold of our house ale yeast house character. That was on purpose. We took a lot of inspiration because we've been hanging out with Bob from Highland Park, um, Kevin Davies from Wayfinder, who's kind of the uh, originator of the cold IPA. Uh, you know, he was a Firestone brewer before. Oh, really? Uh, that, you know, 
Firestone is on his resume. Nice. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say those two brewers were influences. And, and so they'd kind of proven it could be done. Of course, we're going to do it the Firestone way. Um, and I think we succeeded if, if for no other, nothing else was to, to kind of move away from that house character and to create an IPA that's, um, you know, new school in the West Coast way, but, you know, unique to the Firestone portfolio. And that's, that's always the challenge is insert new beer that has purpose, that rounds out the portfolio and presents something new and interesting that we can kind of build off of. So when I say build off of, there'll no doubt be a double hopnosis coming out here in short order. I like it. <laughs> I, don't know about, I don't know about the triple, but there'll be a double for that sure. That makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this is a really cool beer. It's become one of my my favorites, my go-tos in the fridge because uh, it's incredibly stable. Um, it, you know, it, it holds up really well in package. Um, it's consistent. It's one of those beers that you can go to and you know what to expect. And it's uh, it gives me as a West Coast IPA drinker um, exactly what I'm looking for. But it keeps it uh, really well balanced, where it's not uh, it's not super aggressive. Where I need to brace myself for what's about to hit me. Um, it's it's yeah, it's just like you know, I don't, I, I want to say middle of the road, but not in a bad way. Like middle of the road in in terms of balance, in terms of um, yeah. what's going on flavor wise. Well, I think you know. Again, we looked at the portfolio, and so we have a beer that's a little bit lower in alcohol than Union Jack. Uh, certainly, a little less bitter, but still has a West Coast bitter sensibility to mm-hmm. it. New school hops, so there is some Southern Hemisphere hops that we talked about before. So it kind of brings that into the fold. We're using lager yeast, and you mentioned uh, shelf stability. And one of the beautiful thing about lager yeast is it produces a small amount of SO2, which is a, a natural preservative. So it should have better shelf life, uh, theoretically anyway compared to anything made with our ale yeast. So, you know, we try to use all these little, I don't want to call them tricks, but things that we learn, again, through networking, through collaborations, just through being a brewer and keeping our eyes open. Um, Yeah, and then we have this opportunity to kind of release on the national platform a beer like this. It's a lot of fun. Um, and, And we're never done tweaking it. I mean, it's been out now for about six months, and uh, we're always making slight improvements you know whether it's the hop balance and and what we want to do on the dry hop uh or you know what we do in the cellar to create better clarity and things like that but mm-hmm. yeah that I, was a fun project i have sure. so i have some cans still from a february uh batch and then i have cans from a march uh yeah march batch and honestly like I'm I'm kind of a a snob when it comes to time. Like I feel like I'm very sensitive to what happens to beer uh, in can, I, especially a hoppy beer with some of these uh, you know really delicate materials. And it's it, I mean it holds up better than any IPA that I've had in a can. It's really cool. Ah, see, that's music to my ear. That's what that's what a brewer wants to hear. I think we go to our grave trying to figure out how to make a more uh, flavor-stable beer. I think that's one of the things that every brewer is conscious of um, and is always trying to work on. And, you know, let's face it, Hazy IPA made it that much more difficult. Yeah. Like, those beers are really fragile. Everybody knows that. Most of the consumers who know and love them know how to handle them. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, like, we live in a world where beers go on trucks, they go to grocery stores, 
they pass through many hands. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and I nervously sit at home hoping my babies <laughs> find their home safely. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like as, as craft beer has um, exploded in popularity, uh, small brewers that achieve that like initial run of success and, and demand, um, you know, the, the challenge of finding money, of uh, finding additional demand and support and resources isn't as big as that fear of producing too much beer and wondering where is it going to sit for two weeks, three weeks, six weeks. Um, and I feel like that's what holds back uh, a lot of brewers from going, taking you know, the step to the, that bigger stage. And so the work that you guys are putting in to make sure, um, as much as you possibly can in a system where there it's impossible to control from production to consumption. Um, I think that that's, it's, it's a really cool to see what you guys have been able to do there. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, here in Paso, as big as the brewery is, we still operate in a just in time production mode. So, we, we don't brew until we have an order in hand and we, you know, we cold store, cold ship. And the name of the game is to try to behave more like a baker or a, a, a milk dairy than, you know, uh, say a distilled spirits producer or something else. You know, we're really trying to get the beer into people's hands as quickly as we possibly can in as best shape as we possibly can. Um, it's funny because we were just going through this whole process of changing date coding on the bottom of our cans with a laser etching system mm. so that there's no way that ink can get washed off. And I was like making a big fuss because it wasn't as readable as the ink initially. And I was like, <laughs> oh, God, here he goes. And then I was like, I want ink and I want laser coding on the bottom of the can. So no, everybody always knows. <laughs> so we're always trying to improve that part of the business. Yeah, that's interesting. So, um, out of the kind of, um, the pieces of the pie of, of what I, I know as Firestone Walker, uh, we didn't touch much on the barrel age side. And I feel like historically outside of those, like those core beers, the DBA, the union Jack, um, things like that, you guys have made a name for yourself, um, from the the barrel age side of things. Um, I know that craft beers changing a lot. Um, there's oh, I mean, I feel like there's always going to be demand for barrel age beers, uh, both on the clean and the, the sour side of things. But I, I mean, I think it's things have, things are changing, right? Things are evolving and, and those beers move differently than they did five years ago or 10 years ago. Um, what is what's the future for the barrel side for you guys? What are you guys thinking about? Well, um, a couple things. You're right. It's it's become a little more difficult, at least for our brewery or breweries of scale, um, to move barrel aged products in the same channels that we always were accustomed to. In other words, moving it through our main distributor networks. Um, probably because every brewery has a barrel age program now and it's not as unique and special as it used to be just as a category. I'm not saying those beers aren't right. Um, So what we did, and and this was somewhat a reaction to the pandemic, but also to kind of that changing demand model was we started a beer club and it's something that we've always wanted to do. We see all these local wineries sell really the majority of their product direct to consumer through these clubs. And we're always wondering why we couldn't figure that out as a brewer. 
And so we went all in. Um, we're about a year and a half into it. So we had a full year in 2021. We're about halfway through the 2022 club season. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not like, you know, we're not the brewery scale by any stretch. And, you know, there's some local wineries who have thousands and thousands of members. It's nothing like that for us. But what it did allow us is an opportunity to make a lot more, um, I guess, well, take more risks in the barrel programs, make more beers, although smaller volumes, and kind of get back to what we originally got into barrel aging for was for the fun and the creativity of it. Um, we'll always make Parabola, and that will always be available. Um, but, you know, in the vintage barrel, the spirits barrel program, we have Eric Ponce. I don't know if you got a chance to meet I Eric. I haven't, no. Um, He's leading the charge. He he actually came out of Goose Island and had a lot to do oh. with the Bourbon County Stout program there and and, and scaling that program up. Um, you know, so he's a veteran of barrel aging. He's super creative. He's he's the one responsible for a lot of our cocktail inspired barrel aged beers and some of the the new um, distillers that we're working with. Some of the cool barrels that we're working with. Um, so the, so the club, it really feeds well into the club there. And then in terms of Jim Crooks's project in barrel works down in Buellton, um, that's, that's maybe even a little bit more of a puzzle because sour beer and wild ales and mixed firm beers are even more of a specialty subset of barrel aging. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, a lot of brewers are doing it and, there's a lot of collectors out there who I think woke up one morning, opened up their closet, and they're like, oh, my God, I got a lifetime's worth of sour beers in here that I haven't drunk yet. I better <laughs> stop purchasing. You know, it's like my credit card statement tells me I need to stop buying sour beers until I drink the ones I have. Um, so we're always trying to, like, reimagine that a little bit. I don't know. Uh, we, we came out with Primal Elements this year, which was you know, taking the concept of, of spontaneous, not spontaneous, but mixed firm beers, but trying to bring them to maybe a little more approachable place, you know, lowering the TA, bringing more tropical fruit forward, and, and just making sure that we're being honest with ourselves that, you know, we just can't keep making like goose inspired sour beers every day that we need to be a little bit more pliable and, and try making some other things. And again, the, the club allows us to experiment and try and, 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 and make some of these beers and put them forward and see how people respond. But both of those programs are alive and well. I mean, I feel like, um, you know, Firestone started out in 19, 1996 doing barrel fermented DBA and barrels have always been a part of our DNA and they always will be. Um, and we're just having to try to kind of morph and change with the times a little bit in terms of, you know, what's popular, what's not, what we want to do. I think most of it's passion project for us. I mean, it's all stuff we love to drink, love to make, um, are completely fascinated. In fact, right before I got on the phone here with you with, on this uh, interview, um, we were on the phone with Weldworks about another collaboration oh. we're going to release. And I don't think we're going to be able to release it for two years because Neil at Weldworks likes to age his beers, you know, like basically a, a month for every degree Play-Doh or something crazy <laughs> like that. So I was like, well, we better get you in here and brew this beer so we can get it. <laughs> it's another area where we're doing a lot of collaboration. So Yeah, that's cool. I love that. Um, I'm glad I'm glad I, uh, that we got the chance to bring up the, the club 
um, because I think or the membership club that that's I think it's a special uh, addition to uh, what's come out of Firestone. In addition to you know some of the, some of the other cool stuff that we've talked about, that's I think a really exciting thing. Um, so if yeah, I think as as the brewery grows, um, and obviously you know eight hundred five is a huge part of what we do on a daily basis here in Pastor Robles. Having a club and, and doing the Brewmasters Collective kind of brings us back to our roots and gives the vast majority of the brewing team who is super passionate about beer kind of a vehicle to continue to be creative and expressive, even if it's on a super small scale. And what's so cool about the club is, you know, we don't have to deal with the accountants very much on that project. We can pretty much throw anything we want at it. Um, because it's small scale and we can afford to do it. You know, we don't have to ask how many vanilla beans we can afford to buy to put into the next, <laughs> you know, skipping time or whatever the beer is. Right. Uh, we just do it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so kind of like rounding things out from this conversation, um, we talked a lot about experimentation. We talked about the invitational um, and how that's evolved over the years and where Firestone's going and what you're thinking about. Um you know, I was doing a little research before this. You, uh, I guess, like pre-pandemic um, and over the pandemic, you reached your 20-year anniversary with Firestone Walker. Um, and you had taken a trip to Belgium in 2019 be- before we knew that the a global pandemic was going to strike us all. Um, so... You know, tell me about that trip. Uh, I mean, the timing of it. When, when I'm looking at your career and you're coming up in this 20 year, and you 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 go to Belgium, uh, maybe the trip st- was longer than you anticipated because of travel restrictions or whatever. Maybe it wasn't. Um, but what does that do for you uh, going into this? And how do how do you feel coming out of it? Well, well, first of all, I mean, you know, th- it's no secret that. Firestone has a relationship with Duval, and there's some shared ownership of the brewery there. And when that all went down in 2015, my first reaction wasn't, oh, shit, you know, we've got this big partner or whatever. I was like, oh, man, this is awesome. One of my favorite Belgian brewers in all the world is now part of the family. When do I get to go over and live in Belgium and brew at Duval? <laughs> that was like my first question. And, and Adam David and Michelle Morgat, they all said, hey, that's that's more it's more up to you. It's like whenever you can figure out how to put the brewery on autopilot for a little while, you can come on over and brew anytime you want. So it took me about, you know, four or five years to um, get everything lined up. You know, I have this amazing team here, uh, many of which have been with me for most of the ride, most of the 20 years um, in place. And so I finally, you know, just went for it moved the family to Belgium, um, and it was a working sabbatical, as much as everybody thinks I was just drinking Belgian beer all day, every day. I was, I was actually showing up for work every day at the Duval Brewery. Um, they have four breweries through, throughout uh, Belgium. They've got uh, Leafman's, which is uh, you know a, a mixed firm project. They've got Le Chouf, which is in the Ardennes and is um, in the French-speaking part of Belgium. Um, they have De Koenig, which is a smaller brewery in the northern part of Belgium in Antwerp. Um, and then they have the Duval Mothership that makes the best golden ale on planet Earth. And um, so I just spent my days trying to learn how they make beer. Um, I, I wasn't necessarily 
you know, thinking about, oh my gosh, how am I going to try to make a Belgian beer for the Firestone portfolio? Because, you know, we've kind of tried that in the past and maybe, maybe it'll work in the future, but it just hasn't been a major thrust of our portfolio development. But it was more about a brewer just learning more about how other brewers think and, and make beer and the raw materials that they have at their disposal. Because Belgian brewers, to me, are, are very different, and most of them go to different brewing schools than, say, German brewers who go to Weinstefan. You know, a lot of Belgian brewers are coming out of Leuven or, or one of the brewer, other brewing schools. And so it's just a different mindset, a different way of making beer, um, a lot of nuances. I always say there's a a Belgian toolbox that has a lot more tools in it than say the average German brewer, because there's never been a Reinheitsgebot uh-huh. law and, and Belgian brewers have been, you know, very open to using spices and sugars and all sorts of other things, but there's a lot of really interesting science there too. So long and the short of it, I just spent my time trying to, you know, expand my knowledge of beer and take advantage of that incredible opportunity to work with the Duval brewery. Um, and uh, it kind of re-inspired me. So it was fun to come home and within like six months of coming home, start the, the Brewmasters Collective Club and be able to play around with a bunch of things that I had learned and thought about while I was there. Um, yeah. And just built some great relationships with Belgian brewers. So it was it was really fun. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And I feel like uh, from an artist standpoint, and we know brewing, obviously, like part art, part science, uh you know, you have to get outside your comfort zone a little bit. You have to surround yourself with other influences to maybe uh, rethink the way that you've always approached things in the past. And so I love that for you. That's awesome. Uh, I love that for all of us that get to experience some of the fallout of that down the line. Um, did, uh, did that trip, was that always meant to be, uh, how long were you there? A year, year, a year and a half, something like that? Yeah, it was 14 months. So yep. was that uh, was that COVID extended or was that always in- intended to be that long? It was a little COVID extended, but not much. We were supposed to be there for a year. Okay. So it was just a little bit pushover. Cool. Um, what, what was funny is that COVID hit and it forced me to stop traveling around Europe. So basically I, I hit the ground and I was, oh, I got to go to Germany and go see the hops and I got to go to Italy and, you know, check this out. And 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 so COVID kind of grounded me in Belgium, and I ended up spending more time working on the pilot plant and working within the Duval group of breweries because I was grounded. Um, so it, it ended up turning out to be a bit of a blessing, honestly, in terms of focus. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes you need a little focus, right? <laughs> yes. So, uh, okay, cool, man. Well, this is awesome. I mean, I feel like... I have uh, so much more context for the Firestone that I've come to know thus far. Um, hopefully, anybody listening that hasn't had time had the chance to spend time with you before uh, has a little bit more of that context because it's super cool. The legacy, uh, the innovation, um, the commitment to consistency and quality, um, always something to be admired. And uh, from a consumer standpoint, something to be enjoyed over and over and over again. Again. Um, so to wrap things up, anything uh, that you're excited about uh, as we head into the back half of uh, 2022 or as we move into 2023, is there anything on the horizon for you that you're kind of stoked on? I think we touched on it in, in the fact that the Invitational just reminded me how many brewers are stoked about lager beer and and Pilsner beer. Um 
And to me, that's this kind of grounding foundational piece to at least a brewer's art that you mentioned just a little bit ago. Um, So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I'm also just really excited that, you know, kind of I feel like the worst of the pandemic is behind us and we're now able to network and reconvene in person. Um, And that part of it is that that networking opportunity in the craft brewing industry is so critical to the creative process. Um, In so many ways, I feel like this is the summer after um, and there's going to be a lot of cool stuff that comes out of it. So I'm as pumped about beer as I've ever been. <laughs> Love to hear it. Love to hear it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me on this. Uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, Gary, thank you so much for your time. It was really a pleasure talking with you and drinking a couple beers. Yeah, it's great. Cheers. Cheers. And that does it for this episode of Hop Talk. Thank you so much to Matt for joining me on this episode. I feel like I appreciate everything Firestone Walker is up to so much more than ever before. I'd plug an upcoming release for them, but they've got so much going on, it's impossible to pick just one. So here's what you do. Head over to firestonebeer.com and scroll to the very bottom of the page and sign up for their email newsletter. Then make sure you're following them on social media at Firestone Walker and then head to your local beer store and pick up the freshest Firestone Walker beer you can find. I guarantee you it will be amazing. And thanks to you for listening to this podcast. Have a suggestion for a future guest? Hit us up at HopDLA or email hello at hopped.com. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and sign up for our free email newsletter at hopped.com slash subscribe, where we send you five things we're excited about in craft beer every single Friday. We'll see you guys next time. Cheers. Cheers.